0: Safeway makes it easy to save at the pump with your club card because you can use up to $0.20 per gallon in Safeway gas rewards at participating Chevron and Texaco stations. Get more mileage out of your grocery budget, up to $0.20 per gallon. When you shop more at Safeway, you save more at Chevron and Texaco. Maximum reward at participating Chevron or Texaco stations is $0.20 per gallon in a single fill-up, up up to 25 gallons. Cannot be combined with any other Safeway gas reward offer. Restrictions and exclusions apply. See complete details at Safeway.com or in-store.
1: Sports fans, don't forget to follow me on Twitter where I do tons of live analysis during the games, complete with video clips. Also, our premium show, Knicks Breakdown Weekly, drops every Tuesday and is over 20 minutes of the best Knicks coverage you will find anywhere. And today on the website, we're launching a new series called Rookie Report with a great article and companion video on Brandon Ingram. You in? What does the Lakers' landscape look like from a very intelligent fan standpoint? How did Byron Scott manage the dichotomy between coaching young players and Kobe's farewell tour? And how does the political landscape shape up going forward? The only question left is, say it with me, you win... Hey sports fans, Coach Nick here, and welcome once again to the B-Ball Breakdown Podcast. I am pleased to bring on the show today noted Twitter basketball pundit, even though he doesn't write for any publications, Matt Belinsky. Somebody who uh, I've uh, been uh, interacting with not only on Twitter but also in person a little bit. And um, speaking as though you are in L.A., even though we're not in the same room together, I thought we'd jump right out and talk about the L.A. sports fan Lakers scene with you, Matt. Matt.
2: Yep. i um, happy to dive right in there. And, you know, I, I do uh, fondly remember our, uh, our in-person coffee, Coach Nick. So, you know, I think we were really able to get our finger on the pulse of, uh, uh, you know, what the vibe is uh, in L.A. amongst the fans. And, um, you know, right now. Uh, We're still kind of in this honeymoon phase where everyone's got some excitement about, you know, about Luke Walton uh, about kind of despite, you know, regardless of whether or not they'll admit to it kind of being freed from some of uh, uh, Some of the ball and chain that was Kobe Bryant on the organization over the last couple years Um, But you know, I can always find this kind of underlying skepticism there and and rightfully so um, because, you know, I think that even just watching some preseason games, um, and even acknowledging some of the progress, you know, a lot of the fan base is starting to really understand, you know, just how far away the team is and, uh, and kind of, you know, even through all the, the speed bumps that the organization has had over the last, let's call it 36, 48 months. Um, everyone was still kind of expecting a, a rel- relatively quick turnaround. Um, and even though that we've, you know, got the velocity in the right direction now, um, I think a lot of people are starting to realize like, well, wow. This team is still a few years away from even sniffing the playoffs and what's really going to be the accelerator that's, that's really going to get them back into contention or at least sniffing, you know, the type of success that the franchise is used to.
1: Well, are people talking about this notion, and I've tried to sort of put it out there, that there, there is this theory that the Lakers uh, are tanking or certainly are incentivized to tank one more year. And I think that nobody wanted to admit it for the last several years, even though looking back on it, how about this? Looking back on it, is it clear now to Lakers fans that this has been a tank job like the Sixers have been doing?
2: Uh, Absolutely. Um, Nobody's denying that at this point, Um, you know, even going back to the Kobe contract, it almost kind of feels right now, you know, it was it was unspoken, but it felt like the tank contract. Um, and you know how many one-year deals can you sign with people before they uh, just kept on signing one-year deal after one-year deal. And at some point, even when you have the money available, it's like okay, they're not trying to sign anyone who's going to help them out, or you know they're they're going to limit themselves. Uh, they're going to find some plausible deniability about tanking and sign some guys for one year. You know, it's not going to hamstring them going forward. But then you throw the monkey wrench in there about the Dang and Mozgov contracts, and that's like well, okay, is that still what they're trying to do? um and that's you know i've been a big critic of those contracts um i get it they were going to be glaring holes at both of those positions if you didn't sign two you know capable nba players which i do believe dang and mazgov were um but it just the signings run contrary to the you know to what they seem to be doing overall and the notion of okay you know hey uh you got ingram you got russell you got a couple other young guys, but if you add one more, you know, really top flight young prospect, then you really can start to feel good about about the direction you're headed in. Um, But then on the flip side, you know, there's the interesting dynamic of what's going on in the league. So even though, you know, the the Lakers are trying to, you know, improve their lot um, with a couple of, you know, legitimate players, but did they really see the wind shifting in that other teams weren't going to be tanking and knowing that, okay, we're going to go sign, you know, a couple – Okay, and NBA veterans, but we're pretty we're pretty sure that you know allowing this team to go through its growing pains, even with those guys, we still have a pretty good shot of being one of the five worst teams, or you know, let's be honest, even one of the three worst teams, and uh, you know they're going to be right back in the mix for a top three pick just like they have the last couple of years, and then if you go ahead and look. At the teams and you look at the rosters and and look at the Lakers prospects, even a pretty rosy scenario, you know, still a good chance that that they're going to be right in in the in the tank race.
1: Right. And what's funny is that the Lakers fans can't possibly be used to this notion of building through the draft. I don't think they've ever really done it. Perhaps Byron Scott was like their big feather in their cap on the draft. And I think they drafted Worthy. Yeah. So they had they had it way back in the day. But, you know, they brought in Shaq. They had a trade for Kobe. They didn't draft him. And, um, you know, so going even through there, I suppose the Eddie Jones era was yeah, a bit yeah. of a draft put together. Right. With Dale Harris coaching. I, I, I think there's sure,
2: I was thinking about that. I was thinking about that yesterday. And I mean, that's just that era was an anomaly. I mean, because I, I, you know, I was pretty young, but I could you know, still sort of remember it. And, you know, Magic retires. Uh, James Worthy just falls off a complete cliff but Jerry West just, uh, he was working magic. Uh, You know, he found Eddie Jones, you know, a high pick, he was a lottery pick, but he was only about number 12, and he turned out to be a phenomenal player. Nick Van Exel plucked in the second round, Um, even other guys like Anthony Peeler, George Lynch could play and you threw this team together. And I just remember one year, you know, out of nowhere, you, you add Cedric Sabalos to that mix. And all of a sudden, I mean, you had a a very competitive team and I think that might've skewed the perception of what you can do through the draft. I don't think even, you know, being that the the Lakers were able to kind of rouse themselves out, it was a true departure from the Showtime era, that, that two, three year period in between, you know, Magic's retirement and Shaq. Um, but I don't think that's illustrative of you know, what you can expect going forward. I don't think people are necessarily prepared. And then you know, if you go ahead and look at it now where you know, as opposed to those eras where the Lakers have been able to you know, load or reload through some draft picks, they were able to they, – they had the power of the purse and that's something that we truly utterly don't have right now. And um, you know, I think it's – once again, uh, getting past that first bout of excitement of finally having some forward progress – once everyone starts thinking it through and seeing you know hey teams that are building through the draft like in Orlando or Utah even that's you know seems to be uh, at least approaching contention this not a two three year thing i mean this could take you know you miss fire on one or two picks and this is a seven eight year process and other franchises are used to it and you know we're simply not
1: right and back then if you're drafting you're probably getting a guy who's at least a sophomore or a junior in college And now, you know, especially if they get the pick, um, it's going to be a guy who is going to need another, you know, two years anyway – which brings us to Ingram, who is a kid who, uh, for all intents and purposes, if you really wanted to tank this year, that you would never have signed Dang. You would have just yeah. let Ingram start and play and really get his hat handed to him. But eventually, you know, the guy like, you know, I remember when Scottie Pippen was a rookie and he had to go against Dominique and Larry Bird and, um, um, oh God, uh, the whole host of small forwards. That was the premier position back then. And he had his hat handed to him, but he got he. Well, look what happened. He became probably the one of the greatest of all time defensively. So uh, that's what I think they should have done. And I guess the all the alternative alternative uh, reality is that Dang is going to get hurt and he won't play anyway.
2: Sure, um, you know the other, and what I'm starting to come around to is I think that they really did sign Dang to be a kind of combo split forward. Um, I think you know with Ingram, I guess the. Once again, the Lakers have to be sell out their tanking, for better or for worse, you know, and we can there could be a half dozen rationales behind that. I don't think they wanted to let Ingram go in there and just get, you know, get destroyed. I didn't I don't think they wanted to completely hand, you know, throw him to the Lions. Um one of the, you know, one of the the company lines on the Dang signing was they needed an adult in the room and they'd been looking at Dang for a while now. You know, they even wanted him, you know. Just seven eight years ago when you know that the kobe trade talk was still heating up um then you know Conversely, then you hear that they offered the money first to Kent Bazemore, and he turned him down. And you're not hiring, you know, you're not signing Kent Bazemore for veteran leadership. So, you know, maybe that's just the story they're telling everybody. Um, so, man, trying to understand the the motives of the Lakers front office or what they're really trying to do, um, it's uh, it's tough right now. It's been tough for a few years, and you know, every time it seems like they're headed, you know, it's a lot of the the Laker fan community likes to kind of you know, throw all the decisions that make sense in the Mitch check hat and all the decisions that don't make sense in the Jim Buss, I need to you know, timeline hat. Um, but regardless of whether you can attribute it to those two guys, there's still a lot of decisions that seem to be at odds with each other. And, um, you know, signing dang and even having you know what they're trying to do with with Ingram, even though I'm extremely high on him, and you know I like what they've done so far, at least what they appear to be doing so far. A lot of these these decisions seem to be at odds with each other.
1: I think the other thing that's been interesting is that the context of Dwight leaving, um, having won him in the you know with, with the typical the Lakers, of course people want to come here. I, I suspect that that might have given pause to people like Demar Derozan and even like Kent Bazemore who uh, when you know, I think Laker fans would have assumed in the past, oh, they're just going to come because it's L.A. Uh, it doesn't seem that way. And the only question now is, is is it permanently like that? Has the landscape now tilted where, you know, the Lakers are not going to have that advantage they used to have just by the nature of, like, being in, the, in, in
2: Hollywood? Sure. Well, you, there is one factor, and, you know, agents that I've spoken with can definitely confirm that, you know, a lot of agents are trying to persuade our are speaking out against LA for a couple different reasons. Um, you know, one, obviously, you can build a brand and you can you know generate an endorsement and sponsorship dollars elsewhere. Um, high state tax rate, I mean, the tax rate in California, I mean, that's, it's no joke. It's 13% if you're making a lot of money and that's a real game changer. And the fact that, you know, that you don't necessarily want to uh, be in the spotlight and, you know, have the temptation of the nightlife and, and things of that nature. Um, do I think it's, it, it's you know, the the sheen and that competitive advantage has disappeared forever? I don't. And in fact, you know, another thing that kind of irked me about the Moskov and Dang signings, I think this was one transition year. I think they're kind of one year away from being able to get a little, you know, recover a little bit of that soft value in being a destination for free agents. Um, obviously, and I think the coaching thing was huge. Uh, I can definitely confirm from a number of, of reliable sources, everything everyone thought about how much the players... Byron Scott was true, and everything you're hearing about how much they love Luke Walton is 100% true. They they love the guy. He seems to be the right choice. You know, uh, there, there is always the dichotomy between, you know, is he a guy who players love and is he a guy who also can coach? And we'll find out. But I think with, you know, letting the Kobe circus fade into people's memories, having one good year under a coach a little more development from some of the guys. I think And with a lot of, you know, as Zach Lowe as it said a couple years ago, um, there's nothing scarier around the league than the Lakers with, with a lot of cap space. And I think if you would, you know, the Lakers with a lot of cap space, 12, you know, let's call it 10 months from now um, with a little progress, I think they would be a very attractive destination. Um, I still think they're going to be more attractive than they have been. It's just that they have $34 million less after signing, you know, signing these two guys. So, um, it's gonna be it's it's gonna be even a tougher test case in you know the 2000 uh, what will be 2017 offseason and it might even take another offseason after that and see what you know how they maneuver some of these salaries to really see if this is gonna be a permanent thing.
1: Yeah, I, I agree, and there's nothing wrong with that per se. Every team should probably have their wilderness era where they have to struggle, and everyone kind of forgets what the good times were like. And then and then on the converse, like when Philly gets good again, and I think they're gonna get good pretty quick. Uh, they're all gonna forget like the three years they spent taking I feel like this the memories are very short for um, everything in the world, and certainly in sports, uh, you know the the Lakers will be right back on their on their bandwagons. Um, you know, and the Lakers stands uh, will will be open for business. You know, pretty soon. I don't think anyone's going to remember pointing to the Byron Scott era, and you know that much. That said, and we talked about this with the Kaminitzki's, and that uh, we released today was this notion sure. that like Byron Scott was hamstrung or handcuffed, and he had to do what he did to to get the Kobe train going in his final year, but. But um, I, I would have argued that they could have gotten the best of both worlds. They could have tanked. They could have let Kobe do his thing. And they could have let these guys play and gotten a yep. lot more experience and gotten better a lot quicker.
2: Absolutely. I, I'm sorry. You know, this was what we saw. I love Kobe. I don't want to be too hard on him. But what we saw last year for various points was unlike anything we've ever I've ever seen in the NBA. And I've been watching a lot of NBA for the past 30 some odd years. Uh, sorry, 25 to 30, whatever. Um, it was, a, it was a circus. It was, you know, what he was allowed to do in the shots that he was taking the first 20, 25 games of last season. You didn't need to have that. You know, there, there was no, there was no, no test case you could look at and go, like, okay, you're the fading superstar. And he's given a big leash and, you know, sorry, we're going to have to take our lumps. It seemed all com- incredibly manufactured. Um, and it was just so extreme and so over the top. That it just felt like you know, like like someone had been given a, a blank check uh, in writing that check for the wrong budget, and you know, and that's what they were doing. And um, you know, and and what they're you're seeing. He's, I think, here's one one thing that is, is very telling. Byron Scott's shock at being fired was absolutely genuine. He he thought he was going to be given more time. He did not see this coming. Um, he thought he was doing the right thing, um, but clearly he wasn't. And, you know, so there's a possibility that the buses and Mitch Kupchak are incredibly vindictive and, you know, told him to do this and forced him to do it. And, you know, knew that they were walking him right into the buzzsaw. Um, I don't know. I don't quite buy that. I think that Byron took what he thought he needed to do to an extreme. Um, it fits within his character and his perspective on, on young players and, and on Kobe for a while. And, um, you know, I, I think it was just, it was so extreme. He had to be genuinely behind it. And, um, you know, it was just odd. And they, t- of course, could have played Kobe, you know, 28 minutes a game, sit, you know, listen, Kobe, take. Uh, seven bad shots a game instead of 15, uh, giving Russell a little more time. And there you go. I mean, he did a little bit with Jordan Clarkson the year before. You know, he gave Jordan Clarkson the reins towards the end of the season, and you know, put some some faith, some faith and some trust in him. And um, it just it was just an odd scenario. So, yeah, uh,
1: it's it's interesting. I, I I always am sympathetic with the players who say, especially when it's public in the middle of the game when they reported that uh, Russell was saying. I don't know. I don't know what he wants. I don't know what he wants me to do. He won't talk to me, like you know. And and then you can kind of extrapolate. Okay, then Byron is doing this thing where we're not going to hand spe- spoon feed you information, and you're going to have to learn it on your own. And and uh, and I talked about this earlier today on the other pod, but you know, this the notion that and I've seen it with guys like Sam Mitchell, and, and just because Sam was very uh, candid in the interview he had uh, last year or whatever, a few months ago in this in the Minneapolis uh, uh, website where. You can hear the frustration uh, in his voice, and probably it carries out when he's talking to these young guys, and he's realizing that they don't know the things that perhaps he knew coming out of college,
0: mm-hmm. and
1: and so and, and rather than being excited about that, where you could be like, "This is great! I get to show you uh, footwork for the first time." You haven't. This is like watching you know Willy Wonka for the first time. But instead. Yep. It's he. He was like, "What's the hell's the matter with you for not knowing this? You are dumb. I'm going to treat you like you are dumb, (laughs) and now I will be fired."
2: (laughs) Yeah, and and it felt like he was trying to fight a battle on behalf of Kobe that Kobe wasn't fighting. It felt like he was trying to, you know, that Kobe deserved great teammates and a winning team, and it was going to happen. Except these young guys were just, you know, were were weren't up to the task. And Kobe didn't have that that attitude. Kobe was accommodating, um, and I think that you know uh, that has led to a lot. Like th- these guys and these young players, they are w- what they're saying right now. It- it's entirely the case. Beyond not liking him, they didn't understand what he was trying to do. Right. Um, they didn't feel like they were taught well. They didn't feel like they were informed, and it just kind of felt like he was. Byron would just come to Kobe's defense. It w- it's stuff that was unprecedented. I've never heard a coach say this ever in any context i've never heard you know seen a player be encouraged or have that type of a player coach relationship ever before um and it just felt like you know same thing i think Kobe, byron was told to you know take it a couple steps in one direction and he just took it way too far in that direction. And there was just no way to, to walk it back because then it looked like you're, you're undercutting Kobe and what the hell are we doing? He's here and and what are we going to do about it? Um, so, you know, luckily it, it's somehow a little bit of Laker magic. It ended on a bright note and I can assure you the, you know, the Lakers fan collective soul, uh, you know, at that last game, it needed that. We needed something going, going into the off season, which was great. But, um, yeah, it's, uh, it, it, it we needed a, a very clean break you know and i think that the young players have felt it um you know interested to see their development and i think the next uh, the, really the first 20 to 30 games are going to be very telling um but um yeah last year something we we better in the dustbin
1: uh, absolutely and, and, and by the way I, I i'm i'm no huge fan of kobe but that was magical to watch that live and see what happened uh, in that last game so yeah. uh yeah sometimes the basketball gods do you know align the correct you know make sure things happen the way they're supposed to sure. uh although I, I what i argued later was that you know because i believe that was the game that cost the Jazz the playoffs aha uh-huh. or maybe it was the game before like that at that point they knew they were maybe oh you know maybe what happened was
2: I think it was the game before. I think, you know, uh, our our buddy, our Twitter buddy, Bob Vulgaris, has harped on this a a few times. I'm mentioning that, you know, of course, hey – the the Jazz you know they weren't guarding anyone they didn't have anything to play for of course he's right. gone you know and uh, hey uh, Bob wouldn't we we love him because he throws cold water on things like that uh, but you know it's, yeah. it's hard to argue against it fair
1: enough and or it might have even been like that day earlier that day they found out that they were out of it or something but either way yeah uh, and so um, you know but that, what, what what I'm frustrated with because I'm all in on the Jazz was the Jazz was the one team who really could have used a little bit of playoff experience last year mm-hmm. just throw them out there. Get sweat but like give them a taste of it let them see how it feels and uh and so that's going to be the one reason why i think that they if they don't do as well as i think they're going to do it's probably because they just kind of didn't quite get enough of that experience but um you know craziness stuff what are you thinking about the lakers and what do you think they're going to finish
2: yeah i gotta be honest with you Um, i'm not too high on the win total um i think you know 25 to 27 I, i think 30 is unrealistic um And I'm pretty high on some of these guys. Uh, I'm pretty high on D'Angelo. I'm higher than a lot of other people are still on Jordan Clarkson. And I'm higher on Ingram for this year, although that's starting from a very thin baseline because, you know, you've got to understand he's one of the youngest players ever in the league. Um, But you go and look at other rosters and they're simply better. Um, even you know a, a team that's not that highly regarded like the Phoenix Suns, you know they still got a Bledsoe, have a Tyson Chandler, um, Devin uh, Booker's the real deal, um, or even you know the Kings. I mean, hey, boogie, boogie Cousins, Boogie Cousins. If you don't have a player that's up to that caliber, you know you're gonna have a tough time beating that team. Um, so I think they're going to be competitive in a ton of games and lose a lot, a, a lot of games that they're competitive in, um, which may be the best case scenario. You know, that may be all right. Great, we're going to take our lumps, we're going to you know make our progress and still end up with a terrible record, um, and you know, and keep that pick, and then like I said, you know, add one one more member to the ensemble cast, and, and all of a sudden you know we really got a really strong base uh, base to work with. But um, there's just too many teams that uh, have. Climbed out of the basement and got, you know, are no longer trying to tank or not, no longer even considering it. Um, for a team as young and inexperienced as the Lakers to to really win my games,
1: right? And after uh, last night's opening game, uh, uh, the Warriors getting routed. You know, yeah. I mean, it's way early, but you know, I I'm wondering if people are gonna get a false sense of, hey, this is maybe this is our chance now. We didn't think it was gonna be good for two, three years, but you know, you never and by the way, they might be right. This this Warriors thing might not ultimately sure. you know, do it because of the you know, Bogut is just uh you know, a, a huge loss. Like he won Game Two for them almost single-handedly in this yep. last year's playoffs. So, you know, um, so that that's another thing. Is right? Is there blood in the water? We don't. I, that's mm-hmm. one interesting question to, to, to look at. And uh, what are your thoughts on on the Warriors?
2: <sighs> you know, I I am a little more concerned than than most other people. Um, it's 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 tough to analyze because Bogut. You know, he only played 21 minutes a game last year, and only you know he missed about 12 games. And it's like, well, okay. You know, if you go from 20 minutes of Bogut to 25, you know, 28 minutes of Zaza Petulia, and that takes you from a 73 win team to a 60 a 67 win team, I mean, would you really have that much to worry about? And you know, Kevin going from Harrison Barnes to Kevin Durant's obviously going to you know replace some of that. So you know, what what's the real risk? Um, I think they're going to figure it out. Um, and I think I think they're going to be incredibly dominant. You know, I think that they'll, they'll take some lumps because when you are putting together the quote unquote super team, when it's a lot of scores, you got to figure out who gets the ball. Um, I think more so the the risk with the Warriors. I still don't think people really understand how good Steph Curry was last year. He, I mean, that was arguably the best offensive season in NBA history. And there's a big dip uh, in going from the be- arguably the best season in off- offensive season in NBA history to still simply incredible. Um, so if he goes from you know 63% true shooting percentage and a 32 per to you know a 59% you know true shooting percentage and a you know 28 per, I mean you're still phenomenal. But that you know he him being just out of this world was a big reason they did what they did last year. Um, so you know does does him taking one step back to still incredible plus Kevin Durant you know still equal a just absolutely dominant team very likely, um, but. You know they they do have some flaws and uh, and Zot, you can't really be encouraged by what you saw from Petrulia and from Verchial yesterday and uh, you know Iguodala's is getting up there in age uh, I'm you know one of the biggest Iggy fanboys you're gonna find but he's 32 you can find, you can feel the offensive skills start to slip a little bit and um, you know they'll they'll have some stuff to figure out but uh, listen I, I'm, if you're putting if you put a gun to my head I'm going to the Warriors seven days a week and twice on Sundays right now.
1: Wow. All right. Well, yeah, I mean, I can follow all of that. It cert- certainly makes sense to me. And uh, I just think they're going to need the 20 games to kind of get all sort of uh, organized and figure it all out. But, yeah, it should be fireworks. And you know what? So what? They If they if their defense isn't as good as it's been, they'll win, what, 124 to 118. Like, you know, sure. so, whatever. Like, and now not, that's the, not talking the about the playoffs, but certainly mm-hmm. in the regular season they could have that. And that's what the MVPs are judged. I think, you know, I'm talking about Harden. I'm talking about some of these guys who might have a chance to win the MVP, uh, or even mm-hmm. Kawhi by Leonard, And they're all like, well, until he does it in the playoffs, which he has done in the playoffs, but um, it's a regular season award. The MVP is, is for the regular season. And like you yeah. said, the hate that came out for Steph Curry uh, in last year's playoffs was very disarming to me because uh, it just feels like, you know, he's that every man. Everyone could kind of aspire to him being, you know, 6'3", he doesn't jump out of the gym, he's a skill, he's hard work. And yet, um, you know, it's been a, it's been a backlash Mm-hmm. Um, and I think we discussed this on Twitter for a little bit, which is just like, it's a little bit startling to me because, uh, because of that it just seems like he would be the kid who at least would have several more years of goodwill before they turn on him.
2: Sure. Um, you know, one NBA player, uh, had mentioned, you know, so, uh, someone had asked him, um, off the record, you know, what's it like playing, playing the Warriors. And it's like, you go, it's like that guy you play at, at the YMCA who, you know, isn't that athletic and he just gets the shot off one second before you're blocking him, and he makes it a free time and that's the frustration for the players playing against the warriors um you know a true however justified or not justified and i think that bleeds through a little bit to the fan base and i think they're they're kind of you know they're just like it a lot of people it's easier to relate to the guy um some uh, there's a, a large you know set of nba fans who want to envision their you know sports heroes as as superheroes and otherworldly athletes and who can't necessarily you know buy-in on what Steph is doing and then there's still still a little and it's been a while now I still think there's a little uh three-point backlash um you know true NBA fans and don't even in in our little you know basketball Twitter universe don't even try to poo-poo the three-pointer or or speak ill of it or it's you know uh increased usage over the past few years um but I think a lot of casual fans are still like okay you know something if this shot wasn't worth an extra point Steph Curry wouldn't be as good um, and you know, there there was a time in the NBA that that shot wasn't worth three points, and that it's not justified. Um, so, I, not something I agree with, uh, but I think that these types of things do do bleed into some of the Steph resentment. Wow.
1: Well, speaking of resentment, I would be remiss if we didn't talk a little bit about politics as well, because certainly sure. your, your voice on Twitter is quite loud <laughs> and uh, very well-informed, uh, I- and you take the time to actually engage uh, with some of the crazies, which is always <laughs> exciting to, to follow. Um, so, you know, I've actually finally disconnected the last five days. I don't know how. Maybe it's because of the, 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 the polls have shifted a little bit <laughs> enough. But uh, what's your, uh, what are your overall thoughts uh, on, on this race and how it's gone?
2: Yeah. Um, on the one hand, something that we've never seen before, and weird trajectories, and so many new dynamics that you know had not been been following the the traditional political channels of, of the past thirty years. On the other hand, um, kind of as I expected, um, a lot. You know, when Trump was gaining a lot of momentum, I, I kind of just said, you know, something. I get it. There's. of the people who are going to vote in one direction no matter what. And so that's what you're hearing right now. But the people who decide elections, the people in between the 40-yard lines, they're not – this is not American and this is not something that they're going to support. And at the end of the day, they're not going to vote for them. Um, And it looks like that appears to be be what's going to happen. Um, Whether or not that would have happened without some shocking events like release of some certain tapes or this and that, um, you know, hard to say at this point, but I think something that's telling is every time, you know, most, most a lot of people who are into politics, expect, anticipate that everybody out there is just into politics as they are. And they're not. Most people are going about their daily lives and they pay attention to politics only when it's you know, really placed right in front of them. And every time during this election cycle that national events have occurred that have turned everybody's attention to the candidates, Hillary Clinton seems to get a big jump. The conventions, Hillary Clinton gets a big jump. Debate one, jump. Debate two, jump. Um, so I, I expected that to happen. Um, and you know, you, until the votes are tallied, you never you really know what's going to happen. But. Um, it, it's I, I do think that the dust is going to settle where I expected it to, but uh, there's some new dynamics, you know, in terms of you know the political divide being more between you know rural versus city and education-wise as opposed to the traditional uh, liberal conservative divide that you know has pretty much been governing the conversation since uh, since 1980.
1: You know what's interesting to me was I was re- was was not looking forward to this at all. Um, whoever ran against Hillary just because I felt like it was going to get really ugly uh, against Hillary. And mm-hmm. it has. But that isn't I don't think what's bothered me as much. I think what ultimately made me so uh, disenchanted was how much um, support Trump did get. So it was more of a thing like people backing Trump because I guess I'd already steeled myself for like what – he's pretty much done as, as, as horrible a job as you can do as far as – I mean, if yeah. you're a Trump supporter, you'd like it. But like what he's done to Hillary and what he said about her and all these things has been about as terrible as you can get. That's what I thought.
2: Just about the country. What's that? Or said about the country.
1: Or about the country. Yes, yes. We are, I mean, that's the other thing, yeah. Uh, so I think maybe that, that, that's really what's blowing me away, is that mm-hmm. he's been able to run on, on this message of uh, just such extreme negativism, is that, oh. if that's even a word. And, but it's it, not even real, like, right? Yeah. What, what's uh, that movie really quickly, that movie with uh, when uh, the uh, last, no, the Arnold Schwarzenegger movie where the, the bad guy comes off the screen and into the real world?
2: Uh, last action hero.
1: So – and remember the guy, the bad guy walks in and he goes, I just killed somebody. Somebody – I just killed somebody. And then someone else, Ah, keep it down out there. And he like looks around <laughs> and goes, This is amazing. So that reminds me of Trump. But um, yeah, go
2: ahead. Uh, yeah, you know, um, that, that has been uh, – once again um, – i I do uh, you know I feel like I do have a little bit of a better uh, better finger on the pulse of the center, and you 're not not feeling like, oh oh my god i can't believe anyone 's voting for this person i can't believe anyone 's voting for this person. I expected a lot of people to vote for Trump, no matter what because they're just enough people who come from enough different walks of life that you know if a, a member of the party they support you know, came and slapped their firstborn in the face, they're still going to vote for him. Um, but, you know, it, it, what's what's been a little unprecedented is, yeah, he's, he's running off this apocalyptic version, uh, you know, view uh, of America. Um, and this, this, you know, a lot of Republicans, uh, you know, the Republican elitist punditry class, um, they're like, wait a second. Why, why are the Democrats get, you know, we've been calling America haters been able to use all all our stuff, all our Reagan era stuff, you know, shining, you know, city on a, city on top of the hill and this positivity about America. And, and we've got this guy, you know, who's pretty much, you know, trying to go uh, third world banana republic strong, strong man on that, like, hey, this country's a disaster and it's not going to survive. And I'm the only one who can save you. Like, wait, when did this happen? How did this right. happen? Um, and that That's been odd, Um, but I think that's what been odd to say the least. So I think in certain circumstances, yes, you would have seen Trump getting slaughtered based on traditional factors, but then you've got this one other factor uh, that has kind of boosted his numbers and and kept him competitive, and that is that these, a lot of blue collar workers who were former union people, um, people who would typically vote Democrat in support of their financial interests, are, have now kind of given up and said, you know, screw it We want to burn it all down and we're gonna support Donald Trump because he is the one saying, you know, whatever the system is It doesn't work uh, What a globalization whatever it's reaping we don't care. We don't care what the justification is We don't care that it's doing all these great things. It's shut down the factory in our town And you know, we're gonna support Trump over the guys who over the party that you know might re- you know, redirect some tax income our way or some social programs our way. And that has taken him, if without that factor, he'd be at 32%. But instead, you know, some of those people have shifted to him and he's still, you know, remaining somewhat competitive.
1: Right. It's remarkable that that what he's been able to do is get people who don't normally vote out to vote. I think that's what shifted a lot of these numbers as well, where, you know, a lot of these people probably would never have gone out to vote and he's mobilized them. The real question then is, is do those people really believe that the factory is coming back? That is the big question.
2: No, they don't. They don't. Um it's just it's a protest vote. It's they it's pissing off the right people. And um, a lot of them will admit to this. It's the same thing about the wall. The wall's a metaphor. Okay. They don't think he's going to build the wall. The wall is I'm going to build the cultural and spiritual wall that, you know, is going to maintain the national character and this president, you know, this, this, uh, preserve the, the ethno character of, of the country. And yeah, I mean, anyone who looks at it, like illegal immigration has gone down over the past 10 years. Like anyone who's looking at that as what has ruined their life, like I understand there's some, some issues with drugs. Um, flooding in from foreign, foreign territories, and you know that that can be attributed, and that's affected some people's lives negatively. I understand that, um, but you know, for most, they, they don't think that it's it's. They're not thinking it through enough, but they know that they know that the, the people who are in power right now are not bringing back the factory, and they're also laughing at them and find them culturally retrograde, and they're saying, "All right, you know, if if they're not going to give us respect." We don't care that this is not going to actually help us. Um, at least this, at least we'll feel somewhat empowered that we're sticking it to them.
1: Right. Absolutely. I mean, and that, that all makes sense to me. I, did, I think that what, we, what people weren't expecting was, you know, just how many people would do that. And I think at this point um, and, then, and then the method with which he did it would get those people to actually come out and do it. It's just sure. is startling. Um, and the question now is, is, what does this mean for the Republican Party? I've been seeing a lot of these articles mm-hmm. and they all seem pretty dour, which to me as a Democrat, uh, seems interesting because, gosh, it would be kind of fascinating if the Republican Party kind of disintegrated Uh, I don't think it's going to happen, but but can you imagine? Like this is some real stuff here with Paul Ryan can't handle. He he might not survive.
2: Yeah, um, nobody. A lot of smart people have no idea where that's going. Um, How that party actually legitimately splintering? um, If you know, if I had to decide, I'd bet against it. But I mean, there's a real, you know, a a true deep and fundamental schism there. You've got, you know, you've got a, a class of people and a, a lot of people who are either in the, you know, conservative punditry who are, you know, right now elected Republican politicians who are still, you know, still Reagan era Republicans who are on the Paul Ryan tip of hey, we're going to lower taxes and, and deregulate um, and be aggressive with our foreign policy. And, you know, no matter what happened with Iraq, we're going to stick by, you know, we're, we're going to say it was the right thing to do. Um, and they're not walking that back. And, you know, then you've got the Trump people. And like, listen, I mean, one thing that I, if, if I if you force me to find a redeeming quality about Donald Trump, I would say that he was the first Republican to admit that Iraq was a mistake. And you'd be shocked how many Republicans are found that appealing. A lot of people, you know, because they couldn't justify it. They're like, hey, we want a strong, you know, we want an aggressive military. But that was a mistake. Friends of ours Relatives of ours got sent to Iraq for no reason. Um, And that, you know, I've spoken with Trump supporters and that really appealed to them. So between that and, you know, Trump, even though he's just saying the first thing off the top of his head and whatever he thinks anyone would agree to, at least he is saying, oh, I'm gonna maintain your Medicare and, you know, social security and these social programs and you can have your cake and eat it too. And if they thought it through, obviously it's not consistent with his philosophy and it's not realistic, but he's saying it. So how are those two groups gonna reconcile um, and, you know, and also now that, that Trump, that Trumpian faction has, you know, Breitbart's all in. Breitbart is not on the, is not supporting the, uh, you know, even pretending to support the, the Paul Ryan wing of the, the conservative movement or the Republican Party. Um, and having that split in the media, uh, it, the, t- the tail could wag the dog, you know, this, uh, the split in the conservative media. Between the you know quote unquote alt right and whatever on earth Fox News is or you know the National Review even is these days, um, that could that could be leading the split instead of following it. So um, you know I, I have no idea where it's going, but I think it's going to be something that you know we have not seen at least in you know the last half a century. Right, and it's kind of
1: it's kind of made the Tea Party disappear. I, I feel like they're not even an enemy well, anymore. God, you never hear about them anymore. It's unbelievable, right? Right. I mean, Ted Cruz is sort of the Tea Party, right? He was like the poster child. But, uh, but yeah, it's not even an entity anymore. It's not, the alt-right has sort of become that. I, I wonder how much of a crossover there is of, between that. I don't, I don't even know if there is because Tea Party doesn't seem to fall across as much as the alt-right, which is sort of the white supremacy kind of stuff, I guess, right? So I, I feel like there, there, there's no crossover there. Well, there's
2: uh, there's a little crossover, but it's not. I mean, listen. You talk to different people about what the tie, what what's the tie that binds in that crossover. Um, but this what the 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 factors that you're really seeing splitting people are one. You know, one, I, there was one study or one one chart about like you know who you support if you and if you live within ten miles of where you were born. Um, right. if, you, if you stay localized, you're more likely to be a Trump supporter. Um, if you didn't graduate from college you are more likely to be a trump supporter 25 percent of college educated uh, Mitt Romney voters are set to vote uh, oh, sorry uh, are, are set to vote for Hillary Clinton. I that that's pretty stunning um, so you know who it's it's tough you can obviously go anecdotal and say hey I, I saw or read or met this person who was you know, vehemently racist and, you know, terrible, and uh, that's gonna be representative of this movement, and they were both a, a Tea Party person in this. It's tough to say, but it looks like, you know, uh, generally, education, rural versus city, and, you know, and, and what your views are on, on globalization and the global movement, those are now the criteria that determine the splits as opposed to whatever we've had, you know, recently.
1: They, you know, I did, was listen to Five Thirty Eight, and they did say something like, there was a part of the poll they had was, um, that the, the Trump supporters, uh, there's a significant amount of them who are simply voting for him as a not Hillary vote, true. And, and you know, and, that, and that, that's the other and that was what gets me frustrated with Hillary herself is that you know, it's like the one candidate that we could run up, even like John Kerry, which should be up, would have been up a lot more, I would imagine. Uh, um, even with swift voting, I would imagine, but um, you don't uh-huh. think
2: so. I'll give you a reason to feel better. Well, first of all, I think a lot of that, a lot of that is them not wanting to admit that they like Trump. Um, I, okay. think they're, I think that, because I've met quite a few people. That's the fallback. Um, they know that they can't plausibly support what Trump's doing, but deep down they, you know, they feel, they feel the same thing. It's, you know, uh, an uncontrollable id, he's sticking it to all these people I find annoying, but they don't want to say that. So they say, oh, well, he's not Hillary. I just find Hillary that distasteful. Really? Like, come on. Like she's the, you know, even it, taking the, the negative view of her, it, she's at worst just extremely mediocre and quite corrupt for a politician. She's not this like evil de- devil, um, So I think that's part of it. And also, I think people are, you know, not giving her some credit for some of the things that she has done well in this campaign that I don't think Bernie Sanders could have done. I don't think John Kerry or Joe Biden could have done. Um, She's a pretty good debater. She's the worst. She's, you know pretty solid. Um, if you like her philosophy, if you like her ideology, then you think she's phenomenal. Um, I do know that the Clinton, you know, the Clinton campaigning and get out the boat operation, they know what they're doing. Uh, they're really good. And who's to say that, you know, on a national level, somebody else, um, another democratic candidate would have been able to recreate that. And, um, you know, we're, we're all chalking it up to Trump, you know, just throwing this one away and anybody else would have been able to defeat Hillary Clinton. Um, I Know if that's necessarily true, I think that you know she does have a lot of smart people around her. Um, she knows she's you know she's gone through the ringer, despite what people say about uh, media media um, oversight. And um, I, I think that you probably wanted someone who had dealt with this much uh, backlash, you know, handling this type of volatile scenario. So. Um, I find a lot of faults with Hillary Clinton. She's not my favorite candidate, but from that perspective that you just mentioned, um, I, I can't say like, oh my God, I can't, th- anybody else, Trump, you know, would be up by 40 points on Trump. I don't necessarily agree.
1: Yeah, that that is true. I mean, yeah, especially because like Bernie, I would never have thought would uh, would be able to do that too. I remember I called my dad uh, in Florida, you know, he was, you know, in the winter, he's in Florida. And I, it, this is, you know, seven, eight months ago, I said, Dad, do you do you want to vote for Bernie or do you want to play tennis with him? (laughs) Oh, that's the kind of guy. That's what it felt like.
2: Exactly same thing I said to a friend as that uh, a younger friend. I was like, do you think he's your grandpa and you're going to go get ice cream with him? I mean, that would be nice, but should he be president?
1: Right, and he's the crazy guy who's going to be yelling and getting off my lawn uh, while you're getting the ice cream. So, uh,
2: well, listen, yeah, that's every day.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, well, listen, um, and by the way, Bernie does deserve credit for shifting the, 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 the debate and the platform itself. Uh, he, he won in some respects by doing that. And whether or not you want to agree with his politics or not, he he, he changed the, the Democratic platform in some significant ways. Um, and that's, that's commendable from a guy who, from Vermont, like who came out of nowhere.
2: He had been around for 30 years and, you know, if you didn't watch Bill Maher, I mean, you hadn't really heard of him. Right. Uh, Bill, he, got some, he got some good time on, on real time. I, mean, I haven't watched Bill Maher in years, but, you know, over the past 10, 12 years. Other than that, I mean, whoever heard of him, I, I will give him credit for the amount of air in the room he was able to suck up. Um and, you know, the movement and, and hey, uh, he's, it's commendable the way that he I do believe he's truly looking out for, for working people and poor people. Um, I don't think he's got the right solutions or any even con- conception of what those are. Um, but that's an important thing. And, and you need some politicians who are looking out for those people. And, and so, you know, you can commend him on that for sure.
1: Absolutely. Well, we should be watching out for you on Twitter uh, as well. And uh, you are at Matt Bolinski with the one L. And I think we can figure out how to spell the rest
2: of it. Right. Well, you know, a lot of people go I over Y, so it's actually it ends in a Y, so B-I-L-I-N-S-K-Y.
1: All right, Matt, there you go, Matt Belinsky on Twitter, and uh, this is great. We'll, we'll have to chop it up again and check in with you guys and get the finger of the pulse of the uh, Laker fandom and see what's happening. We'll have to do that later on this this season.
2: Absolutely. man. It was a lot of fun, I'm sure it will be again.
1: Absolutely. Well, don't forget, sports fans, at P-Ball Breakdown, we're not a channel, we're a conversation. You win? Are you in, Matt?
2: I am in all in. When you don't go to Geico.com, car insurance can be confusing, like Swedish techno confusing.
0: Safeway makes it easy to save at the pump with your club card because you can use up to $0.20 per gallon in Safeway Gas Rewards at participating Chevron and Texaco stations. Get more mileage out of your grocery budget, up to $0.20 per gallon. When you shop more at Safeway, you save more at Chevron and Texaco. Maximum reward at participating Chevron or Texaco stations is $0.20 per gallon in a single fill-up, up up to 25 gallons. Cannot be combined with any other Safeway gas reward offer. Restrictions and exclusions apply. See complete details at Safeway.com or in-store.